here's what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to get our minds around this great truth of what it means to be children of God and what a privilege it is to be part of your family. I pray, Father, that if there are those that are here today that are not part of your family, that you would adopt them, uh, them by your work of the Spirit. And so, Father, would you do a work in this time through your word, which does not return to you void. And it's in Christ's name that I ask this. Amen. Uh, the musical Annie is a, uh, a musical about a delightfully optimistic orphan who lives in an orphanage ran by a cruel and mean um, uh, keeper who's also an alcoholic named Miss Hannigan. And life in the, or in the orphanage is, is certainly not easy by any means. Uh, it's obvious that Miss Hannigan doesn't even like children, and uh, she uses them as slave labor in the orphanage and also uses them sort of as pawns uh, for people that will shell out great amount of, a great amount of money in order to adopt these kids. And Annie's luck changes when a representative from billionaire Oliver Warbucks uh, comes to the orphanage asking if there is an orphan that they could simply bring to, uh, to Warbucks' house for Christmas at his mansion. And seeing how poorly Miss Hannigan treats Annie, uh, that is obviously the one that this assistant wants to bring to, uh, to Warbucks' mansion. And so uh, at as Annie is introduced to the mansion and the staff, uh, she is explained that she's going to have every luxury available at her, her fingertips. And it's completely the opposite of everything Annie had ever experienced before in her life. Um, in the song, I Think I'm Gonna Like It Here, she is told everything that she's going to, uh, to have at her disposal. Um, it's going to be things like uh, toys and clothes, a pool and food. Everything that she dreamed of was at her fingertips, to which they even tell her, even if you haven't dreamed it yet, you can just dream it and it's going to be yours at Warbuck's house. Annie is so simply beside herself that all she can get herself to sing in that song is, I think I'm going to like it here. Well, as the story progresses, there's, you know, typical drama of, of musicals. And now that Annie's been hanging out with a, a billionaire for a while, people come out of the woodworks to claim that they are uh, her biological parents. And all the while, the audience gets to see through these, these frauds and hopes that Warbucks will adopt her. And uh, Well, if you've seen Annie, you, you know what happens. And if you haven't seen Annie, golly, it's been out for over 45 years. So I'm just going to throw out a spoiler here if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, Warbucks ends up 
adopting her, and uh, everything that was offered to her just for the Christmas holiday is now hers in perpetuity. She is fully and completely a daughter of Daddy Warbucks, and everything that is his is now hers. Uh, but as wonderful as all that inheritance is, Oliver and Annie are most happy to have each other. And it's uh, found in the song, I don't need anything but you. And the story of Annie now is, is a great illustration of what Paul is trying to communicate to us here uh, about our adoption into God's family in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. Last week, when we looked at verses 1 through 11, uh, we answered the question that if we are unified uh, with Christ by faith, if Christ is ours, then why do we still struggle with sin? Why do we still have those, those ingrained desires and those, those pulls uh, toward those things that we know we don't want to do or be? Why do, why do we still have that? And now in verses 12 through 17, Paul shifts and he answers another question, which is, if we are united to Christ by his death and resurrection, by faith, what does that mean now in terms of our daily living? And to answer that, uh, we'll find that the answer is far greater than we could ever imagine. That through faith, not only are we united to Christ in his death and his resurrection, but also we are adopted by God the Father and have become his true and legitimate children. Whereas before we lived a life under the cruel tyranny of of. Miss Hannigan, or the bondage of sin, now, through Christ, we are adopted as sons of God to a love and an estate far greater than Daddy Warbucks could ever provide. So our goal here today is for us to look into the great responsibilities and, and benefits of being children of, of God by looking at Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. The first of which is that as children of God, we must put sin to death. We must put sin to death. When I was pastoring in Nebraska, I, I was leading a weekly Bible study at an institution that housed primarily paranoid schizophrenics. And I think I've talked about it before, but it was one of the most um, meaningful ministries that I, I really have ever had uh, in my uh, in my life. And, and in this Bible study, I would have a set of regulars, uh, which means that it would be people that would, would come to the Bible study uh, every week or, or at least faithfully for six months or more. There was one man in particular, I, I, I'm ashamed to say I don't even remember his name, I'm going to call him Bill, that was very, very faithful. He was there nearly every week. On one particular day, I was, I was getting ready to start the study, and, and I noticed that Bill was not there. And so when I asked the group, has anyone seen Bill today? Is he planning on coming and studying with us? One other gentleman in our group replied very matter-of-factly, no, they put him down. They put him down? Well, what do you mean they, they put, him, put him down? Yeah, they put him down. It needed to happen for a while now. Okay. Uh, I, I, I knew that there had to be more to this because, I mean, 
I mean, euthanasia is not legal in Nebraska, and even if it was, this guy wouldn't qualify for it here. And so even, uh, so when I asked, well, what did he do? He responded by saying, well, his knee has been bothering him for a while, so we had to take care of that. Okay, well, now the pieces are, are, are slowly coming together here. So I felt compelled to correct him. So you're saying that, that Bill was not put down, that he was put out or put under, right? Did he have knee surgery? Is that what you mean? Oh, yeah, 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 that, 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 that's, that's what I mean. Yeah, friend, putting, putting someone down, that's what you do to a sick dog or a cat, not a person. And so he humorously just uh, agreed and went on. And it was a humorous interaction, but the more I've reflected on that over the years, the more I have come to see, the, uh, see its profundity. Uh, in his confusion, he was articulating the approach that many of us Christians take when it comes to sin in their lives. Many of us want to believe that if we come to faith in Christ and that when we're united with, with Christ uh, in that faith, uh, when our old self was put down, that all of our old sin and all of our old struggles was put down along with it. Now that would be great, but anyone that has been a Christian longer than 10 minutes knows that that's not how it, how it works. Yes, on the cross, Jesus took our punishment our condemnation for us. We find that in verse 1 of chapter 8. Yes, on the cross, he took the power of, of the law and sin that once previously controlled us so that we were unable to do anything other than obey our fleshly desires and gave us the ability to say no to those old things. But to believe that when we came to trust in Christ that our old sinful inclinations were uh, euthanized, is to look at sins of being put down rather than being put under. Last week, we uh, looked at the important distinction between the words of what theologians call justification and sanctification. Remember that, that justification is the legal act by which God's justice is satisfied in Christ on our behalf. So when we trust in Christ, we are justified because our sentence of eternal death has been taken upon by Christ. It's why Paul wrote back in, in chapter 5, verse 1, that therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God uh, through Christ Jesus our Lord. And in verse, chapter 8, verse 1, where he says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, this is contrasted with the idea of sanctification, which is the process by which we become more like Christ. Justification is a one-time thing, once for all, applied to us by faith through the grace of God, by uh, grace through faith. Sanctification is ongoing and will be our status every single moment of every single day until we are with Christ in glory. And again, it's really important uh, that we understand the distinction because in justification, God put our sin down in the sense that the, the power of sin no, is no longer operative in our lives. It doesn't enslave us. It doesn't control us anymore. That old part of us is dead and it's gone in Christ. However, the inclination, the ability, and the drive to sin was only put under. 
It's with that now that we turn our attention to verse 12. Paul teaches us about our loyalties in the Christian life. Notice what he says here. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. In other words, Paul is saying that we owe someone something. But it's certainly not the flesh. We don't owe anything to our old nature. We don't own, uh, owe anything to those, those sinful tendencies that were controlled previously. Why would we even get a second of thought or a, a second of consideration to that which was creating death in us and leading us into death? What or why should we owe anything to anyone that wants to kill us? Now, Paul does something very odd here. Paul is typically very good at anticipating questions and answering them in his, uh, in his letters uh, before someone can even ask. But here, in verse 12, you would think that Paul would describe what we're indebted to, but he doesn't. You, you, you would think that he would say, so then, brothers, we're debtors uh, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Rather, we are debtors to something. But notice, he doesn't put an answer in. He lets us assume that we are indebted to the grace and mercy of God. And he moves straight to a warning about living as a debtor to the flesh. And we know that because he uses the word for in the next verse. That's a marker for a, for a ground clause. It helps us understand the reason why he just said what he said. Notice it says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you live as if you owe it to yourself to have a little sin on the side, you will die. And this death that Paul talks about here cannot mean physical death. And the reason that I say it, that it cannot mean physical death is because just a few verses back in chapter 8 verse 10, Paul made the argument that even those of us who are in Christ will physically die. Remember he said, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, meaning that even if you are walking according to the Spirit, our bodies are still subject to a fallen world. Cancer still strikes. Natural disasters still strike. Infections come along. Violence is very prevalent. And so we have to assume here that Paul is referring to the ultimate death, spiritual death, eternal death, or hell. So if your modus operandi is living it up today, for today, living for maximum pleasures in life and comfort and pleasure and ease, completely apart from God, you will die eternally. But, Paul says in verse 13, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So what is it that we are supposed to do with those deeds of the body, those inclinations and those, those sins that still want to claim authority uh, over us? Paul's very clear. We are to put them to death. 
We are to put them down. And most Christians do not take what Paul is saying here seriously enough. Sin is not just a, a, a problem that needs to be fixed or, or a little flaw in our character. It's not just a, a problem that we need to tuck under the bed or, or hide in the closet. It is deadly. And the language that Paul uses here is very violent. What are we supposed to do with sin? We're supposed to kill it. Get rid of it. And the point it shows up when that anger starts to brew, when, or that jealousy comes in, or when you're alone with your computer or your phone, or when you're tempted to snap at your spouse, or when you want to talk behind someone's back, or when you feel those attractions that, that shouldn't be there, or, or if you want to overindulge in sweets, or whatever it is, it is at that point when they show up that we are to lop their heads off. Get rid of them. Cut them out. We say, no, sin, you are dead to me. You don't rule over me. Christ does. You put it in its proper place, which is six feet under. And that's hard to do, isn't it? Things can creep up so fast. And you can make a decision to, to uh, follow the flesh before you know it. And that's why we have to realize that this isn't something that we can do in and of ourselves. We need divine help. It takes walking according to the Spirit, listening to his voice, obeying his voice. It's why uh, Paul put here uh, that if by the Spirit you put to, deed, uh, to put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What is the means by which we are to put to death the deeds of the body? It is the Spirit. We're not debtors to sin. We're debtors to Christ who loved us and who has set us free from our sins. So, by, so live by the Spirit. And in doing so, put to death the deeds of the body and live. And second, we need to cry out to God as Father. We need to cry out to God as Father. In the movie Saving Private Ryan... Uh, one of the American soldiers that is uh, selected by Captain Miller to rescue Private Ryan was a man named Irwin er Wade. And Wade had a very important technical skill that was needed for their, uh, for their, their troop, and that is that he was a medic. And like most soldiers who fought in World War II and, and really most wars throughout human history for that matter, Irwin uh, Wade here was just a kid. Probably in his early 20s. Doing his duty. And based on the dialogue throughout the movie, he enlisted right out of high school. Uh, there's no indication that he was married. Uh, in fact, there's not even a significant other that he talks about, but he does talk about the relationship that he has with his mother and how close he is with her, growing up in her house, being taken care of by her, and living with her up to the point in which he enlisted and was brought into basic training. And there comes a point in this mission when, Wayne, uh, when Wade gets mortally wounded. Uh, and you can imagine that having your medic go down is not good. 
And so the rest of the squad, they desperately try to save his life. And what the writers do with his character at that moment is both harrowing, but also psychologically interesting. As he uh, is first getting tended to, he is obviously in pain. But as a medic, he is telling his, uh, his fellow soldiers what to do. Asking them where the wounds are, how bad they are, is there this, is there that, and telling them how to, how to help him. And then something unexpected happens. He suddenly switches into his mindset to something that had been touched upon in the movie throughout many soldiers who were dying. He begins to cry out to his mother. He says, Mama, I want to go home, Mama. Something so primitive in his brain retreated back to the one person who had shown him so much love and care throughout his life. The one person that had protected him when he was vulnerable. The one person that hugged him when he was scared. And the one person that, that took care of him when he was sick. It was that person that he cried out to at his most desperate hour. Now in verses 14 through 15, Paul describes something to us who have received Jesus and are walking according to the Spirit of God. He says uh, that through Christ, we have been adopted into God's family and have been made true children of God. And because of that, we can cry out to him and should cry out to him both in our most jubilant uh, or the most desperate hours that we have in our lives, and he is faithful in all of them. Whereas uh, Wade's mother could not do anything for him when he cried out to her in the middle of a field, in the middle of, of France, God hears us wherever we are, whenever we are, and he acts on our behalf. Look at how Paul puts it here. He says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now we have to be careful how we look at this verse. Because believe it or not, this can be discouraging if we read it in the wrong way. Uh, we could look at this in terms of prescriptively. Meaning that the only way to become a child of God is if you are walking according to the Spirit. Like you earn it by walking rightly. And that's not what he is saying here. Because if you are reading it in that way, you are always going to wonder whether or not you're good enough, whether or not you have done enough, whether or not you, you line up with God's way of doing things. Instead, this is descriptive and wonderful. It is saying that if we are led by the Spirit, if we've been united with Christ, then it's also true that we've been adopted by God the Father. It's indicative rather than imperative. Paul goes on in verse 15 to share with us the gift that we have as sons of God. And it's a, a, a gift of reception of a spirit. Look what he says. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. That is, we weren't adopted so that we can go back into the mindset of fearing God's judgment on us for our sin. But rather, 
you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. Did you get that? This is massively encouraging. When we come to Christ in faith, when we are led by the Spirit of the living God, we are also brought into the family as a true child. This isn't true of everyone. There's a phrase that you'll often hear out out in the public that says we are all children of God. Every single person walking on the street, walking on the earth is a child of God. Baloney. Jesus is very clear. You are either a child of God or you are a child of the devil. There are no spiritual orphans. So when you come to Christ, God rescues us from the abusive family of Satan and brings us in to the healthy family of God where there's healing and health and joy and comfort and peace and providence and everything that we could ever want is found in him. We have so many privileges in him. And one of them is that we have VIP access to God who is the creator of the universe and by the way, He's also our Father. He's our Father. He's ours anytime, anywhere, for any reason. When it's the middle of the night and like a little child coming to you saying, I want a drink of water, doesn't matter what time it is during the night, God will be there and he will give us what we truly need. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you. And here's what you are to do. Casting your anxieties on him. Why are we to do this? Because he cares. Because he cares. If you are in Christ, do you realize the greatness of your status as sons? Regardless of what kind of father you had in this world, God, the Lord, is your father. All things that are his are ours in Christ. And more than that, God cares for us, and we can cry out to him, and he will act. Friends, call on God as father. And third and finally, we should receive the inheritance of our father receive the inheritance of our Father. Paul continues this this concept of adoption now in verse 16 by helping us understand how the, the Spirit in whom we walk plays a huge role in our internal assurance that we are children of God. Notice what he says. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Friends, we live in a culture today that values feelings and emotions over objective truth and facts. Ultimate reality, according to our culture today, is not what is true and external to ourselves, but rather it is only what our subconscious feelings and our thoughts are. Only we determine reality. And my reality may be completely different than yours. 
It's a very problematic philosophy. And I can imagine that it's going to have an inevitable collapse at some point, but at what cost, I have absolutely no idea. We can say mistakenly, uh, we can read this mistakenly in our modern sensibilities into what Paul is saying here. We can look at verse 16 and think that Paul is talking about this inward feeling that we are children. But, uh, or, or that, 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 that warm, fuzzy feeling that we have that we are children. The problem is that our feelings are, are often deceptive. We can have those warm feelings and, and, and feel like we are true children when we're not. We're just deceiving ourselves. Or we can live completely stoically with no emotion whatsoever and falsely believe that God doesn't love us because we don't have those feelings. Both of those things are wrong. It's not an indicator of one another. Rather, Paul tells us that it is the Spirit that bears witness to us. It is the Spirit that convicts us of our sin. It is the Holy Spirit that leads us into the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us faith and unites us with Christ. It is the Holy Spirit that leads us into sanctification. So regardless of how we feel, we have to continually remind ourselves of the work of the Holy Spirit. Do we believe and trust in the gospel? Are we living a life of repentance and faith? Are we growing in our faith? If so, then the Holy Spirit tells us through God's word that we are children of God. Our job then is to believe it regardless of our feelings. And in verse 17, we really get to the good stuff here. I'm going to read six, going back to 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Romans 8 is so full of what we call conditional statements, meaning if, then. And then here is just one of the best ones that we can see. If you are a child of God, and we've already seen what that means, then you are an heir. An heir is a beneficiary of an estate. And what is God the benefactor of? Everything. He's the creator of the universe. There's not one atom that exists in this universe that is not his. God owns everything here. And so, uh, you know, you think about in, in, in The Lion King, when Mustafa brings Simba up to the, the, the ledge and he says, in his really cool, like, Darth Vader voice, Simba, everything that the light touches is going to be yours. Well, it's sort of like that for us, but it's not just about what the light touches. It's everything. God is going to give us everything in Christ. It's why uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the what? The earth. So it's not just about a strip of land in the Middle East. We get everything. And that's good news. And how is that possible? 
Well, Paul tells us in verse 17 that our union with Christ is such that not only do we gain a brotherhood with Christ, but we are an heir with him. What Christ has in the will, we get too. Paul puts it this way in uh, 1 Corinthians 3. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. Huh. That may be the greatest news of all. We can inherit every atom, every molecule of the universe, but without God, it's nothing. It's like little orphan Annie to Daddy Warbucks. We get to sing for 10 billion years. I don't need anything but you. Now before we get, uh, we, we exit from these amazing verses, we at least have to deal with Paul's words here in verse 17 because they can be tricky. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Well, what does that mean? Provided we suffer with him so we can be glorified? Is, is he just trying to rain on our parade here? All of these things are, are going to be great, but you've got to suffer in order to get there. I don't think that's what Paul is doing here. Rather, what he seems to be doing is recapitulating back to the idea of what life looks like in the Spirit. Friends, you can bear witness to this, that it is really, really, really easy to praise the Lord when the sun is shining in your life. When things are going well, when the bank account is full, when your relationships are healthy, when you don't have any work on the house that you need to do, you don't have any sickness, there's no conflict, you have no worries. But yet it isn't so easy to praise the Lord when the pain lingers for years. Or when the creditors start calling. Or the person that you trusted for so many years has betrayed you in such a harsh way. Or when you try to put to death the deeds of the body, which can be quite painful. Or perhaps when you hear the news from the doctor that your, your time here is, is quite limited. It's in those times that our faith is truly tested. We can go through them stoically. We can go through them bitterly. We can go through them not connecting the dots to our suffering, to God's overarching plan. We can fail to see our sufferings and, it, and their connections with the gospel. That is what I think Paul is getting at here. That if we are in Christ, we are united to him. If we are walking according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh, if we are sons of God, then we also ought to see our suffering in light of that. It's light and momentary. As children of God, we can and should see our sufferings as part of God's plan to be glorified in himself and to make us more like Christ it is in that then that we suffer with Christ. And as we go through the ins and outs of a fallen world, there is coming a day when we will be glorified with him because we have suffered with him. This glory then is 
our inheritance. Our Father in heaven has treasures beyond what we can even imagine. We just need to receive them. See, friends, our union with Christ offers us so much. We're justified. We're being sanctified. We're adopted. We will inherit in Christ and in Christ alone we are all of this. Oh, well, all of this is, is ours. This is worth putting to death the deeds of the flesh. This is worth rejecting the inclination of living according to the flesh. Friends, life as a child of God may be hard, but it is good. And it will result in far greater glories than we could ever imagine. So then, walk according to the Spirit. Live in the Spirit, and you will sing for eternity. I think I'm going to like it here.